Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Who died and rose again, and by faith in Him alone they can have eternal life. Now that being said, if you know that they've known that, then you don't want to just pray and thank God that they merely have fire insurance from hell. You want them to fully know God, and that's where we are in this passage. One person wrote this, and I thought it was so good, I want to share it with you. He said, to know Him, the Lord personally, is salvation. That's in the past. To know Him personally is salvation. I know Him. He is my Savior. Christ died and rose again. That's history. Christ died and rose again for me. That's salvation. To know Him progressively is growth. To know Him progressively is growth. The term that's thrown around is called sanctification. It's just basically, I am growing in the Lord right now. I'm progressing in my knowledge of the Lord now. And then to know Him perfectly is glorification. I will never know the Lord perfectly because I still have sin. I still have my nature, my old nature. Now, I can know Him perfectly in the future. So I will know Him personally for salvation now, or in the past because I've been saved, progressively in growth, and then perfectly in glorification. Now, look up here for just one moment. Sometimes we find ourselves praying for people who are lost, and you do that in a lot of prayer groups, and, and, and I, I, want, I want to encourage you to continue praying for those that would come to faith in Christ. I know, of, I know of a man who prayed for his mom and dad for years, and they finally both came to Christ, and soon afterwards they died in the faith. That being said now. But sometimes we can, Christians, pray for those who are lost more intently and more consistently, and once they get saved, it's kind of like, whew, they're saved now, I can go on. No, what we do is we pray sure that they would come to faith because God is willing that none should perish, desires that none would perish, but all would come, here it is, under the full knowledge of the truth. So we want them to come to faith in Christ, but we also want them to continue growing. So sometimes we spend more time praying for their salvation and less time praying for their spiritual life development. And I'd like to encourage you that you add those two together and then once they know Christ as Savior, continue to pray for what else is out there for them. Now, I need to take a bit of a detour so that you understand what you're praying and what you're not praying as I get into these four here in a moment. Listen very carefully. When we talk about this, um, you're not praying that that person gets more of God. You're not praying that that person will get m more grace, so to speak, or, or he'll get uh, more blessings from God. What you're praying for is that they will realize what they already have, and it becomes very real to them. We'll see that in just a moment. I want you to know that once we've accepted Christ as Savior, we've been accepted in the Beloved One. Everything that God gave, He gave to His Son. Everything His Son has, I have. So I have, here it is, everything that pertains to godliness residing within me with the Spirit and the inerrant Word of God today. Now what will help foster some of that will be people praying for me, others coming alongside to disciple me, being in a good church where the Word is honored and preached faithfully, that type of thing. They're going to help them do all that. But I want you to know, though, you don't get more of something. You just want to learn more of what you already have. Let me read this to you. It's an illustration I think is kind of cool. Randolph Hearst at one time was looking around for rare artwork only to be told after many months of searching he already had it in his collection. I look at it this way. When we buy a computer and we get all these programs, we know that they're in there, but we have to learn how to use them. And I think even a lifetime, I'll never learn that whole program only because by the time I think I have, they've upgraded it. 
All right? We have it. We just have to develop it and learn it and, and, and get it out of there. We have everything of God. We just have to take what He's given to us and grow deeper in what He has to say. Warren Wiersbe said it so well. And if you've ever known Warren Wiersbe, he can take deep truths and he can, I love it, make it clear. Here's what he said. Paul does not ask God to give those people what they do not have, but rather prays that God, prays that God will reveal to them what they already have. And that's really our prayer, that God would certainly do that, give them that special understanding. Which now brings us to number six. So what am I going to do now? I'm going to ask the Lord to help them see and understand the following four truths. So I'm saying, all right, Lord, I want them to know you fully. I want them to have a full experiential knowledge of you. I want them to know the fullness of God in knowledge fashion so they really know who you are. And now to do that, I want you to help them by seeing it. I want you to open up their understanding to those truths, and then we'll talk about what they are. So they're all there for them. It'll be opened up for them. And the verse says this, ask the Lord to help them see and understand these four great truths. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know something. In other words, you can't know these things unless the eyes of your heart are being enlightened. Now, for us here today, when you hear the eyes of our heart, we often think of our heart as, um, as our emotions. You know, I love you with all of my heart. We write notes to our girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever, and two poopsie from Tootsie, and it all comes from this emotional thing of the heart. And I get that, and there is some emotion in serving the Lord, so I'm not going to take that away. Jesus was emotional, we're emotional, celebration is emotion, grieving is emotion, that's all part of it. But we don't live and base our whole Christian life on purely emotion, because it'll just drive us batty if we do that. It'll actually lead us off course if we do that. If you go back to the time that the word heart was used in the Bible times, it leaned more into their thinking, into their mind. It was more of a rationalization of what was going on. So the idea here is Paul is saying, I'm praying that the eyes of their mind, their thinking, would be opened. It's already there, but now help them to understand that truth. Help them to realize, here it is, the accuracy of that truth. So they don't now take the truth and we pile it on with a lot of other sayings that other people have because of false teachers, and we kind of have the good with the bad all mixed into one, and now they're trying to make sense out of God, their Christian life, and what they should do when they see it. It doesn't work. It's dysfunctional, and they walk away from it just because their eyes aren't open clearly to the truth. We want them to fully know what that truth is. If you remember the two men on the road to Emmaus, while they're heading to Emmaus at that time, it was the Lord who had to open up their eyes so that they can then see who He was. That's why Psalms, and often when we begin our services here, we we pray the prayer that's found in Psalm 119 that says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous truths from your word. So that principle is biblical, Old Testament, New Testament. And while we're praying for them to have a full knowledge of the Lord, we're also praying that their eyes of their understanding would be open to them. So God would do a sovereign act in their life as well, that they really would understand it. Now, that being the case, what should they really understand? What are the four truths that you're going to specifically now pray for them? Now, when I give these to you, you're probably going to look at them and say, oh, they're just so spiritual. How can these things really work? What about doing it this way or that way? I'm telling you that we cannot go wrong by praying the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that we could pray for the people we love as well. So I'd rather by faith believe this is how I should pray, by faith believe this is what should be prayed, and therefore by faith I will pray this, and I'm going to by faith trust God to work it out in that person's life, his way, his timing. Are you with me so far, folks? Hello? Okay, all right, number one. You want to pray that they understand the hope of his calling, the hope of God's calling, not the person's calling, but the hope of God's calling in their life. 
It says, so that you will know, that you'd know the Lord fully, you'd have your eyes open to this truth, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. How important that really is. Now, I think this calling leans more heavily to their salvation calling, that they would fully understand what it means to be a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ, what it means to know the concept of redemption, the concept of propitiation, the concepts, the truths of justification. Now, those are words you, you probably don't use a lot, but if you understand the depth of those words and what they mean biblically, you understand all that's involved in your salvation from God's perspective and what He's done through Christ for us, the humongous amount of stuff that He did so that He could offer to us freely the gift of eternal life by faith alone in Him that we would realize He did this for me. That is a gift. How grateful I am to Him to understand the hope of the calling. Now, it's more than just, hey, I got saved right now. I look at the hope of the calling as this. Now that I'm really saved, I have a reason for my salvation. I have hope in the fact because He is who we claim to be. Scripture clearly identified that, and it's accurate and it's true. I have this hope now because it is true. My hope now doesn't look back so much. That's the truth I look back to. The hope is now I look forward to. Let me show how this fleshes out. You can go in the Old Testament, New Testament. You can also go in the lives of missionaries. How many missionaries were facing a sword? How many of them were facing a hanging? How many of them were facing a gun? How many of them were facing to be totally molested so badly that they died from all of that? And they did it in the faith, not denying the faith, full of joy. Here it is, full of hope. Is because they knew that no matter what you do to my body, it doesn't matter. You can't touch my soul. You can't touch my spirit. I have been born again. It's all about Jesus, and I'm going to heaven. So what we do is we look at them and say, no matter what life throws at you and why you're walking away from the Lord, it doesn't really matter. That stuff doesn't matter, so don't try to remove that. Recognize the hope that you have that is greater than whatever problems that you have today. The hope of your calling, that you really know that you're a Christian and what it caused God to make you a Christian, how God gave you a purpose in life, and so you're praying for them to really fully understand those truths. Don't doubt God on this. That's what Paul did. He prayed for that. I think that's really, really, really rich. And speaking about all of this richness, let's go to number two. Now you're going to pray that they would fully know what is the riches of God's inheritance, the riches of the inheritance. Let's go back to the verse. It says, so that you may know what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance not to the saints or for the saints, but is now in the saints. So let's go back. We talk a lot about self-esteem. We talk a lot about how that we need to really see ourselves as better and better. Whatever our mind can conceive, we can achieve. And so we look at all the wonderful things that we have done, and we live in a world that there's bumper stickers, you know, my son's an honor student at such and such school. And so we, we get all of this stuff, and it builds on that. And I never want to take away from hard effort that earned a wonderful certificate of um, completion and success. I, I get that. But when we go too much in that direction and we don't give God all the glory of it all, then we could look at others, what they got and what I don't have, and they're better than I am, and I'm really nothing and all of this. And we live in a world of comparison, and if that goes to seed, then we have jealousy and envy, and that then goes into what? That goes into greed, and from greed you get into anger because you don't get it. When you get into anger, you get into control. If you can't control, then all of a sudden you've got murder going on, and kids are killing themselves in schools. Uh, that's another story, another sermon. Coming back to this, though, but once I realized my inheritance is this, that I am a child of the king, 
that everything that God wants me to have, He will give to me. I am gloriously rich from a glorious God. And so I'm very important. And it's not based on, did I have a good mother? Do I have a better car? What college I go to? It doesn't matter. Do I have to have a trophy wife or not? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if my body is just caving in because of illness and disease. It doesn't really matter. I am rich in Christ, the inheritance that I have. And once I pray for that, that they would understand they have everything. They are fully vested with God in their inheritance. Folks, I think if you and I would pause for just a moment, we wouldn't be comparing ourselves. We wouldn't be jealous of what others have and what we don't have. And we'd be so just saying, Lord, thank you for what you have given to me. It's described as being rich and glorious. So if we feel poor and damaged, then I don't think we realize how rich we are in God. And maybe that's why they have walked away from the Lord because they are trying to go after the world. They have a thirst for something that only God can give them. But Satan says, you're not going to get it in God. So he dangles the world in front of them. And they're thirsty for all of that stuff. But what Satan dangles in front of them is all this salt and sand that's making them thirstier for things of the world, walking away from God. And what we want them to see is they already have everything they need. Because they're a Christian, they're calling. And also because they're inheritance. Because of your calling, you have this. I know this is so sounds so sweet spiritual stuff. But I want you to know this is the biblical prayer that Paul prayed. It's in Scripture, and I believe it's to tell us who we are, but also how to pray for others. Number three, for the greatness of his power toward believers. Now it gets, it's really ramping up the volume here. So I know that I'm saved. I know how rich I am in Christ because I'm the inheritance. I have the inheritance. We talked about that last week. And then it says the greatness of his power toward believers. Now to do this, I'm going to read you a longer passage. And from this passage, it was too hard for me to divide it up. And this says it, this part of the verse says it to this. This part of the verse says it to that. I think that these two are too found in here, but there's so much in there. It's like, you know, uh, like spaghetti sauce. It's all together here. So let me just give you the greatness of his power. So what you're praying for now is that they would understand the power that they have. And I'll bring an application in a moment. Let me read it to you. It says, So that you may know, fully know, what is the surpassing greatness of God, or in this case, context, Christ's power toward us who believe. In other words, they would understand how great, surpassing this power is that is to us who believe. That's why when you've got a person who you want their life to change, make sure they're a Christian because they don't have the power to change. They're just doing what their old nature, it's like a, a dog will bark, a dog will bite, a dog will growl, because that's what a dog's nature is. A sinner will do these things because that's their nature. When they trust Christ, they get a new nature. It takes a dog and turns them into a cat. I'm just joking. But it does make them a new person. Now that being the case, now you're praying that they would understand you've got power. You have God's power. It's surpassing greatness of His power to you because you believed in Christ. Let's go on a little bit further. Then it says this, He says, these are in accordance with the working of his strength, God's strength, and his power, which he brought about in Christ Jesus. So let's take a breath for a moment. We're praying that this person knows that all this power that they get is found in Christ. So in other words, I'm going to look at Christ as my example of a power source. That's why theologically I can say I can live a victorious Christ-like, God-like life because He lives it out through me. you got the exchange life going on here. And all of that requires power and it's found in Christ. I know this is really heavy for some new believers here, but I want you to know you need to know this truth. There are new believers in Ephesus. And to realize that you would have this power 
that is found in Christ. And we're going to see what that power looked like in Christ in just a moment here. Surpassing. That power is given to you and me who believe and the person you're praying for. Let's go back to the passage again, which was brought about in Christ. When he did what? Now we're going to see it personified, activated. When he, God, raised him, Christ, from the dead and seated him at God's right hand, where in heavenly places, in the heavenly, in the spiritual realm, way off the earth, now let's drop down a little bit further, far above that same power, all surpassing greatness of the power, found in the person of Christ, who now is Christ, above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and that all refers to the satanic world that is incredibly more powerful than uh, man's world, the earthly world, all right? Not more powerful than God and not equal to power with God, but it is far above all other powerful authority figures. Now stay with me, far above. Then it says, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come, they're all going to have to give a bow to that. And then he says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet. That's the power from the power, all things are under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. I'll talk about that in a moment, which is his body, the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Now, let me make some sense out of that for you in a practical way. Most of the time when people are walking away from the Lord, they will say, I would change, but I just can't. I want to, but I just can't. Or they do it one day or one week or after one message or another message or or come to Jesus moment, but they don't keep on doing that. And then they say, I just can't do that. I don't want to make light out of this, but some people will say, I just can't quit smoking. I just can't quit drinking. What you're basically saying is that my desire for drink or my desire for smoking or my desire for drugs or my desire for sex or my desire for whatever that other thing is that they say, I can't overcome those hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I cannot do that. What you're saying, whatever those things are, here it is, all of them, each of them, are together even, are more powerful than Jesus Christ. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, not really. Okay, then let's not really say that then. Let's say that he's more powerful than that. You agree with that? I agree with that. Okay, now let's go back to the passage. If he is more powerful, how do you know it? Because Jesus, as a man for a moment, Jesus died. God didn't die on the cross. Jesus died. He was dead, 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 dead. And then three days later, whoop, he came back to life. Nobody's done that. Oh, what about Lazarus? Yeah, but he died again later. All right, so Jesus came back to life. No other religious leader has ever done that. Now, he came back to life again, and then what did it say he did? He then left earth, and he went to heaven. Not only did he go to heaven, he's not just banished to some little corner of heaven. He is at the right hand of the Father. The right hand in Scripture of the Father is representing a dominion place, a place of power and authority all rolled up into one, and he is God in heaven. Then it says that's power over every other power source that ever is and that every knee is going to bow to that power source that's there and he is the head of the entire church which includes you. So now Christ is your power source if you've trusted Christ as Savior. So that's why the phrase I use here so often works. I can't, he can, therefore I will because he is the power source. So what we're praying is that they would have full knowledge of how much power that they have to overcome these things. Now, here's the only hiccup in this whole thing. Here it is. Even though they have the power, they might even realize the power. But if they don't flip the switch by their own choice, they're going to waste all that power. 
all that hope, all that inheritance, because they bought into Satan's lie, the world's lie, feeding their flesh's lie. And so I do realize that no matter how much you do this, that person still is a free moral agent with their own free will of choice. But even though they have that, because God, through Paul, prayed this prayer, I'm not going to let their own free will trump my responsibility to pray for them. Are you tracking with me so far? And that's the power. But it doesn't end there. Let's go a little bit further. The fourth one is this. It says here the supremacy of Christ. So while we talk about power that Christ has, I want to remind him of the passage again that we just read, that they would fully know that he is supreme. So they may think they can run from God. They cannot. They may think they could postpone their come-to-Jesus meeting, but they can't. They can do whatever they want, whatever they're going through right now. What's happening is they're walking away from these great truths underneath the permissive will of God at this point. There is going to be a come to Jesus. It may be later in life. It may be on their deathbed. And if they're a Christian, it most definitely will be at the judgment seat of Christ, not to determine whether they go to heaven or not, but what heaven might look like for them for a while. All of that now being said, it all goes back to the supremacy of Christ, that they would really know who Christ. And so I just want to give you all hope that if you want to pray for them, you want to pray for them, first of all, think about the good things in their life. Then thank the Lord for them. And then keep on praying for them. And when you pray for them, pray for them in such a way that they would really fully understand who Christ is so they could have the fullness of of God. And when you do, now you pray specifically that they would know what the hope of their calling is. God's calling in their life. All the inheritance that they have. The greatness of His power toward that person as a believer. And they never forget that they will have a come to Jesus movement. And that moment's going to be when every knee bows and every tongue confesses the Lord Jesus. If we're going to pray to change lives, we must apply the Holy Spirit's inspired prayer that Paul prayed. Some I, I, I pray for specifically this prayer. All of you I pray generally for this prayer. And while I do, I pray underneath the mindset that I, these truths should change me. These are very rich truths coming after seven blessings of highly elected people. My goodness, how could I not respond to knowing that people are praying for one another like this. So I'd like you to take a moment. First of all, you need to accept Christ as your Savior in order for you to have a connection with God to even pray this prayer. Your first prayer to the Lord perhaps could be something like this. Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know that I haven't walked with you. I know that I'm a sinner, but I want these blessings. I want to know that I have eternal life. I want to know that I'm rich in you. I want to know that you will never leave me nor forsake me so I can boldly say you're my helper and that I'll never lose my salvation. I want all of this. And so right now, Lord, I believe that you are the supreme Lord and you died on the cross and rose again. And you are giving to me freely eternal life. And so I'm doing that. I'm believing you. And therefore, I am believing in you as my forever Savior. That's your first prayer. That gives you a power source now inside of you. Now, once you've done that, 
then you meditate on these truths so you too will begin to develop a full knowledge of who God is. And then start praying for others that they would come to faith alone in Christ and then go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of Him. Now for the rest of you that are listening, um, would you join me in praying for others that their lives would change? And while you're doing that, throw in those that are already walking with the Lord that they would get a richer biblical experience of what they already have in Christ? Would you pray for them? Maybe spend more time praying this prayer than praying that they get a job or they get healed or they get money or they get a maid or they get, you know, not that you can't pray for these other things. You know, pray for all things. I get that. But why do we neglect praying a prayer like this? What kind of results do you think we would get if we prayed a prayer like this? So between you and the Lord, just take this, print it out, Put it in your Bible, put it on the refrigerator, put it in your little devotional, put it in your journal, and begin praying for this. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh,